gets. Once you start scouting, it's like a disease. It gets in your body. You're infected with it. You're tuned in to the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your hosts, Russell Landy and Rick Saratello. Back on the prowl. Here on Sprout, it's another edition of the Infectious Scouting Podcast with your host, R.I.C., and the place to be, Rick Saratella, telling it like it is when it comes to the NFL draft since 2002. It's what we do. And of course, here on this show, what we do is count you down to the 2020 NFL draft with longtime scout Russell Landy bringing two decades of experience over from the NFL, the CFL, the XFL, and each and every week, I get to pick his brain. We discuss prospects. We talk a little bit about the scouting industry. We try to provide some tips along the way. And we've got another jam-packed edition this week with you. Uh, we'll take a look back at the week three matchups that we discussed last week. We'll talk about the outcomes and how those players did. We'll take a look ahead at week four. I know a lot of you are eyeing that Notre Dame-Georgia game. Maybe the biggest game in the history of Georgia, they're saying. Uh, We'll also dissect some risers. Uh, We'll take a look at some players that popped onto the radar. I have a couple new guys I want to discuss. And then, uh, you know, we'll we'll discuss quarterbacks because when you look around the league at the NFL, these starting quarterbacks are dropping like flies, and there's just not enough to go around. Teams are panicking. They're desperate. Uh, a lot of teams trying to find their quarterback of the future or, or turning the keys over to their new quarterback of the future. But we've discussed in length who some of the top quarterbacks are. We're going to take a look at who are some of those tier two guys. Who are some of those developmental quarterbacks that you know NFL teams could be looking at as potential developmental quarterbacks? So with that being said, we welcome in the star of the show. Of course, you can follow him at Russ Landy. Check out his website, RussLandy.com. And we welcome him in now. Russ joins the show on the Sports Management Worldwide Hotline. How are we doing today? What's going on, brother? I'm looking forward to who's this big timer you're talking about. You said there's some star of the show joining us? (laughs) And he makes his introduction with a boombastic hello. That would be you, (laughs) the one and only, Russell Andy. What's up, big timer? And, and, you know, I got to take a cue from um, the Ross Tucker show that you did. You may be the only scout walking the planet that's worked in the NFL, CFL, and XFL. You know, I I will actually say there is a second one, um, and that's Joe Mack, who was one of my bosses up at the Alouettes, and he's currently – they're interim GM, but I but I do believe at the end of the season, I don't know if he's going to continue working in football. I think he may retire. So for the next two months, I'll share that title with Joe, who's a good friend. Um, okay. After that, it may go back to being just me. All right. Well, we'll have to get to the championship belt, my friend. And, uh, you know, I love, uh, being, <laughs> I love being your tag team partner each and every week and uh, discussing the scouting world of prospects and, you know, kind of taking a look uh, and keeping our fingers on the pulse as the season progresses. So uh, those of you joining in for the first time, buckle up. It's a double chin strap kind of hour. For those of you who are back again, we appreciate it. And, of course, you can always like it, share it, subscribe it on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, SoundCloud, and 
Um, we'll, we'll dig right into it, Russ, because everybody was uh, staring at that Iowa-Iowa State game. Did not disappoint. Iowa comes out on top 18-17. to 17. Uh, What did you take away from this matchup? You know, I mean, I think when I saw the game, the, the thing that I saw, obviously, outside of the fact that it was delayed by what seemed like 17 hours for uh, lightning and thunder and all that stuff, is I, I saw a team in Iowa that, and, and I'm, I'll get into the prospects in a second, but I just saw a team in Iowa that was resilient. They found a way to win a game that I don't know if they really deserve to. Um, I thought Stanley did some good things. Um, again, I'll, I'll say it, and I, I've said it before because we've talked about him a few times. I don't view him as an elite guy in terms of a guy that's going to be discussed in that first-round area. But I think what he's shown this year, and although this game was probably a little bit less so, he showed more consistency this year. I think against Iowa State, there were a few, a little bit of uh, some flashes of the inconsistency that I'd seen before. But overall, he's still a guy that I'm intrigued by. Um, the Wilkes kid, if I'm saying his name's correct, a Wilkes kid that's now playing left tackle. Intriguing kid. I actually think he's the better of the two tackle prospects when you include the Alaric Johnson kid who's out right now. Um, I think the Wilkes kid has got a real future in, in, as a left tackle in the NFL, even though he played right tackle um, up until this year. So I, I, I came away from it pretty impressed. Yeah, you know, I think after the Georgia offensive tackle, I think you could state a case now that Wirtz might be right there in first-round consideration because he's, you know, he's expected to test through the roof as well. So I, yeah, I think yeah, exactly, you know, he, he's, and he's healthy. Yeah, he, 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 yeah and he, which is uh, a huge um, couple of. You know, uh, players at the – you mentioned Alaric Jackson. We talked about Walker Little also out for the season. So, suddenly, uh, if you're in health, a healthy, uh, athletic offensive tackle, we talk about the lack of quarterbacks. Whereas there's a lack of offensive linemen, especially offensive tackles and those who could play the left side. Although, you know, I do think that the right tackle is, is almost as equally as important nowadays. Um you know, the other game. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, the way uh, just, just the amount that the NFL passes nowadays and the way the defensive schemes kind of switch up their, their pass rushers lining up all over the field. It's almost like, uh, you know, a third wide receiver or a third cornerback, your right tackle is now just as equally as important as a left tackle. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned Stanley, We'll talk more about tier two quarterbacks later on in the show, but the the other game I had an eye on was this uh, Temple Maryland, and I'll have a chance to go see that Temple tough defense in a couple weeks against Georgia Tech as Jeff Collins comes back to town. But uh, I want to talk about their quarterback for a second because this Anthony Russo, you know, he took over last year as a sophomore. We saw him, you know, be kind of like a, a, a gunslinger, gambling man. Uh, letting it rip, but I noticed he's kind of reeled in the harnesses a little bit this year. He's making smarter decisions. He's minimizing the turnovers, and we saw the fruits of his uh, success this past week as Temple ekes out the win. They held off that explosive Maryland offense, 
your guy uh, McFarland, the running back, went off again. But this Anthony Russo, I, I want to just take a moment and talk about him because I think he has prototypical size. He's a pocket-passing quarterback, strong arm, can make all the throws. And now that he's m- maturing, making better decisions, and let's be honest, he still has another year of eligibility, which I anticipate he'll use. But maybe not this year. Maybe he will declare. I don't know. But I'm thinking two years down the road. This Anthony Russo is now a quarterback that he was already on the radar. I think, you know, scouts around the league are kind of sliding him up now. Uh, their big board rankings. He was the 27th ranked quarterback in the nation in the draft Bible prospectus, regardless of draft class. I would now probably have him in my top dozen or so quarterback prospects. But uh, quick take from you on Temple, Maryland. A lot of people didn't see that one coming. No, you know, I think a lot of people didn't see it coming. And I think you nailed the key that is Russo is, I mean, I think even last year when you watched him, you saw a big kid, he could make all the throws. But you didn't see a guy that you felt confident was going to sit back and say, all right, what's the smart play? What's what's the best chance to help my team without putting my team at risk? You would see him sort of gunsling a little bit last year. This year, now he's still going to do that occasionally, but I think he's growing and maturing. You see, there are times where he, you can almost sense that he's like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this throw, and then you can almost sense in his head he's like, oh, you know what? Let's make sure he's open first. I'm gonna hold this for a split second more to see if he gets that separation. Otherwise, I'm gonna move on somewhere else. He's not making those forced throws. Then I don't know if he, I don't know if force is the right word really, but he's not making risky throws this year when he doesn't have to. Now he'll still throw some balls that may be risky when there's no other option and he feels he has to put the ball in the air to make a play, but he's not making that instantaneous force throw. He's taking his time, definitely maturing. Um, you mentioned that he's a guy that possibly could come out for a guy like him who's showing positive signs so far this year of making an improvement from last year. I think the worst thing he could do would be consider coming out because to me, a lot of positions it's worth coming out early. Obviously running back is the biggest one, but for a quarterback, if you stay in shape, you're going to play 15 years. If you become a quality starter, why wouldn't you want to be the best you possibly can be when you get to the NFL? And this kid, to me, I've seen improvement. You mentioned it. It's hundred percent. There's a difference this year, but I don't see enough improvement in terms of when I watch him, he doesn't jump out as a, as a first-round guy. He jumps out as an intriguing guy with some upside and some physical talent. So to me, this is a guy who should finish the year strong, keep getting better, and stay for a year, and he can literally be one of the top two or three going into the following season and be much better prepared for a professional career. No, I agree wholeheartedly, and, you know, it's easy to say now looking back at it, but uh, Tyree Jackson from Buffalo, who we both liked coming out, but perfect example, gets into that Buffalo Bills camp and, you know, just hasn't developed enough, doesn't understand the complexity of schemes enough. And now I believe he's out of the league. You know, he had another year of eligibility. That would have worked wonders if he went back to school, whether he stayed at the University of Buffalo or transferred to a a bigger program. And, you know, Anthony Russo can, you know, kind of use that probably in terms of where he's at in his developmental stage. I agree with you, Russ. Um, You know, the one other guy that caught my attention this past week uh, and and continues to do so is because, you know, I kind of was curious to see how he was going to come back off of the leg injury. And Zach Moss 
from Utah. I mean, I know it's against Idaho State, but another impressive week, 10 carries, a buck yep. 06, averaging 10 yards. I mean, on the season now through the first, uh, I think, two or three games, he's got nearly 400 rushing yards. And remember, he got he got injured late in the season last year. So he's still got his 1,000 yards. He's on pace now for his third straight 1,000-yard season, which, I, I mean, that doesn't mean much from an evaluation standpoint. But the production that he showed uh, and then the ability to bounce back from injury, I mean, you were talking about a guy that was, you know, maybe a mid-round prospect, day two type of guy, uh, if he were to come out last year, which he was contemplating. Now, obviously, the medical is a big part of it, but I do think that he's kind of recuperated some of that draft stock as, you know, before the season, we were kind of scratching our heads like, eh, let's kind of wait and see type of approach. No, I think you're 100% right on it. I mean, when you watch them this year, whether it's Idaho State or even their, their, their first two games before that, you don't look at him and say, oh, look, he's recovering from injury. You don't see a limp. You don't see him favoring anything. You see a kid that looks like he's 100%. And to me, that's a great sign because this is a good ball carrier. Um, I love his balance, his ability to keep his feet when he gets hit from odd angles. This kid's got a lot of the traits to be successful. And this kid's also a great example of if you're an NFL team, why are you going to take a running back in the top five or ten? When in that second or third round, this is a kid that probably I don't think he's going to be a first rounder because I just don't see that dynamic special athleticism. But I see everything else you could ever want a starting tailback. So why would you take a guy in the top 10 when this guy might be there in the second or third round? And he's got productive NFL back written all over. So, yeah, he, he to me is impressive. You know, I got to say the one other the game that also I watched this weekend that really sort of guys jumped out at me is that K-State, Mississippi State game. And, and I got to tell you, I was sick to my stomach. I'm watching that game. And Kansas State is literally destroying Mississippi State. They're physically dominating them on the line of scrimmage every snap. Yet they keep screwing up on fumbling the ball on punt returns and different things. And they literally were losing the game at one point. It was unbelievable. They dominated them so much. And I got to mention two guys that, to me, I hadn't really studied yet. But impressed me, safety Denzel Goodsby for Kansas State. You talk about a guy that's all over the field making a ton of plays. This kid was unbelievable. This kid really impressed me for his ability to make plays up going forward and also to be productive back in coverage when they asked him to do that, which wasn't a lot. And they also have a senior D tackle. You've probably looked at him already because you, you, you've looked at everybody pretty much. They have a kid named Trey Dishaw, big, thick body. 300-plus pounder, number 99. Not a special athlete, but a good athlete. But all he did was make plays throughout the whole game. He was disruptive. He was blown up Mississippi State's offense. And they were trying. Mississippi State was doing everything they could to get the ball in Kylan Hill's hands, who is a ridiculously talented back. And Dishon kept disrupting it, kept making it tough. And even though Hill had all these great numbers, by the time things were said and done, Dishon's play Definitely made an impact for why Kansas State controlled Mississippi State's offense most of the game. Yeah, you know, I have not actually dug into those guys uh, in depth. So I'm writing it down as you speak, and I'll go back and, and, and rewatch that game. And, you know, of course, I was up at uh, the Kansas-Boston College game where, you know, the uh, Boston College was favored by 25. They wound up losing by 25. Les Miles came in and uh, just – 
you know, kind of ran it down their throats, just Khalil Herbert, who, you know, quite honestly, the coaching staff kind of, you know, feels for the kid because this this uh, super sophomore Puka Williams, I mean, he's just a dynamic player, right? And 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 Khalil Herbert has been kind of stuck in this running back by committee uh, scheme, but you know, here comes Les Miles, who loves to run the ball. And I got a feeling this Herbert's going to play a key role down the stretch. Um, I think he's going to get plenty of work, but he had a big 82 bust off run. He finished with um, about 187 yards on 11 carries, I think. But this is a guy, he's just a one cut and go, no wasted movement. Uh, You know, we remember OJ Simpson, they call him juice here, uh, there at Kansas, but a Khalil Herbert, a guy who, you know, quite honestly, I don't even know if he gets drafted, but he's going to be on somebody's 53-man roster. I know that much. And, you know, I will say that the uh, left tackle, you know, they actually have a pair of tackles at Kansas. Hakeem Adenije, uh, he's got yep. the look of a top 100 guy. Um, I loved what I saw, superb in pass protection. Uh, this week now will be his 40th consecutive start. He brings plenty of experience. And the other guy opposite, Kevin Feeder, who's just this tall, lean, you know, six foot eight, three hundred pound machine, he transferred over from Ohio State, where, you know, he suffered a, a foot injury early on in his career, of course, from Don Bosco Prep here in New Jersey, but he never really recovered from that foot injury, and he struggled with that, and never saw the field for the Buckeyes. So he transferred to Kansas. Uh, he started. All 12 games last year at right tackle. He's starting at right tackle. He's probably a right tackle at the next level. More of a developmental guy, but I I expect both of those tackles to be in camp. And then um, the one guy at Boston College that I'd say the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl is looking at, John Phillips, a senior offensive guard. Uh, Saw a lot of things I liked. Saw a lot of things I didn't like. And, of course, you know, I have more in my scouting notes. If you subscribe to the NFL Draft Bible, you can get more on that. Of course, A.J. Dillon, there's an interesting prospect because I look at him and, you know, he seems to have a little bit more wiggle and agility. I like his vision, Russ. And he's more of this power back, which as a junior, you know, I'm not sure. You talk about the Temple quarterback coming back and proving his stock. I'm not sure there's much more A.J. Dillon can do to improve his draft stock if he came back for another season. I mean, he's kind of what he is, a between-the-tackles, bruising type of runner. And I would not be surprised if A.J. Dillon declares for the draft this year. I agree with you. I think there's a very good likelihood he will. There isn't much more he can do. Um, and, and And I'll say this just on a side note. It took Kansas almost 15 years to realize their mistake of blowing out Mark Mangino when he had that program finally winning. Um, and now yeah. that looks like they finally got the right man in place. And hopefully this will help. Because i got to tell you, Big 12 football and NCAA football is far better when you have a winning team in Lawrence, Kansas. Because as their basketball team has shown, when they're winning, it brings attention you can always recruit there if you're a good coach. I think it's great for college athletics when Kansas is winning in football. So this would be a huge, huge thing if Les can keep this going. Yeah, and who doesn't like when the Mad Hatter's involved? I mean, I just, 
you know, less sitting up there in the studio wearing a suit just never kind of kind of never sat well with me because it didn't look right. Um, he looks much more comfortable there on the sideline. And it was nice to see him soak in that victory and enjoy the moment because he deserves it. Um, the last guy I will say uh, I'm looking forward to this upcoming week. Um, I'll be traveling out to Pittsburgh to watch this high-powered UCF offense who – Again, you know, people are pushing for them to be in that college football playoff hunt, and and of course they'd have to win out outright. Um, but this Dylan Gabriel, um, I haven't really studied him on film, but just keeping tabs on him from a distance, uh, 350 passing yards this past week in the, in the big blowout victory over Stanford. Of course, uh, the Winbush kid from Notre Dame transferred there, and the and uh, the head coach, Josh Heupel, refuses to anoint Dylan Gabriel, who's a true freshman. Um, but Gabriel is, is a Hawaiian native, much like McKenzie Milton, Milton, who's who's uh, also on the roster, still injured from that gruesome leg injury. But Gabriel now trying to follow along the line of the McKenzie Miltons, the Mac, Marcus Mariotas, the Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, all of a sudden. Hawaii is putting out all these quarterbacks. Uh, there's been a growth spurt of quarterbacks coming out of Hawaii. Again, I have not had a chance to watch him on film. I'll get to see him in person this weekend, but just another name uh, to keep an eye on. And I don't know if you've seen him play at all yet, Ross, or you have a take on the UCF program. But, I mean, if they run the table, are, are you willing to put them kind of in the mix? Of course, they're one loss in the last two years came last year in the bowl game against LSU. What, what's your take to quickly here on this, the whole college football playoff landscape? Well, you know, I, I mean, I understand that there's a difference between conferences when you start talking about SEC and, and, and the non-Power Five. But, but let's also remember, very few teams do a great job of keeping their team pumped up and competitive every single week. So a team that wins like UCF is winning over the past two years, you can't knock that. And, and if they can finish this year undefeated before the playoffs, they, in my opinion, deserve an opportunity to compete against these teams. And it's not that they are man for man as talented. Well, let's also remember, if you look at the NFL, the Patriots oftentimes are not the most talented team on the field when they play on Sundays. But because of great coaching and players knowing what they're doing, they win a lot of games. So UCF, if they keep winning like this, at some point, you've got to say, you know what, let's give their coaches a chance to compete in the playoffs with maybe a lesser talented roster, but an awfully good roster, and let's see how they can handle it. I think they 100% deserve it if they go undefeated this year to be one of the four teams in the playoffs. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's hard to put them in over a one-loss Notre Dame or uh, a one-loss Georgia because of the ratings. And I I got views for you. I think people want to see it. I think people Oh, I think there's no doubt they want to see it. Yeah, I think it would generate just as good of ratings if you had Notre Dame or UCF. I think the ratings would be comparable. So I don't want to hear that excuse, uh, college football playoff committee, when we co- comes time to, to get those teams in there. Um, anything else from this past week you want to get off your chest, Russ, before we move on to this week? You know, I'm just going to mention two guys, and again, from that Kansas State, Mississippi State games, two guys that people, if they want to worry about for two years from now, 
they need to know about these kids. They have a kid. They have two guys. Are receiver returners, Malik Knowles and Philip Brooks. If you want to see dynamic, explosive guys who can change games with the ball in their hand that make guys miss, that have legit home run ability every time they touch the ball, those two players are there. And I wouldn't be surprised in two years if both of those guys aren't getting consideration to be high draft picks. I mean, Knowles took back a kickoff over a hundred yards. The Brooks kid, he, he's a little munchkin. He's about 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, and, man, he is special when he gets the ball out of space. So these two guys, two years from now, they're going to be getting a lot of talk as Kansas State considers the, or continues their sort of rebirth of the, the new head coach, Chris Plyman. It's going to be impressive to watch these two receivers and returners make dominant plays in the Big 12 for the next two seasons. Always love the future watch. Love what Chris Klarman is doing there at Kansas State. And uh, if you, too, like the future watch, I mean, you have to get the 2020 NFL Draft Bible Prospectus available now at NFLDraftBible.com. We've got a promo code for all of our listeners, VIP Familia, VIP Familia. You'll get 20% off. And if you subscribe to the all-access package and you get my in-season scouting notes, I'm on location across the nation. I try to hit two or three games each and every weekend. Um, so don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on RussLandy.com. Of course, you can follow him at RussLandy. And we do this each and every week on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. And, and if you're uh, a first-time listener, now, now you're infected. It's in your system. It's like a disease. You'll have to come back each and every week to tune in to what we have to say about the scouting universe. And, you know, uh, Russ, before we get into week four matchups, I mean, these starting quarterbacks around the NFL are falling like dominoes. And there's just not enough. Um, I think, you know, shout out to Mike Abadir, uh, certified NFL PA agent on Twitter, who brought it to my attention, I think there's nine air raid system quarterbacks set to start this weekend in the NFL. Nine quarterbacks who came out of college from the air raid system, which, you know, at one one point was considered a no-no. Uh, now, you know, Mike Leach is somewhere smiling, but, um, you know, to me, what happened was, you know, it was easier for the NFL to kind of uh, – mimic the college offenses rather than take these guys out of college and, and make them learn, you know, a more complex system. Uh, it That wasn't working. So the NFL said, Hey, you know what? Maybe we'll adapt some of this air raid spread formation, RPO type of attack, incorporate it into the NFL and make it easier for these quarterbacks to tra- transition. But it, still, it seems like, a, a lack of dearth of these uh, ready-to-go NFL type of signal callers. And we're going to talk about some of the Tier 2 quarterbacks. But before we do, I mean, just as you take a look at the evolution of the quarterback position around the league and some of these guys now are getting up there in dog years, the, the, the Drew Brees, the Ben Roethlisberger, the Eli Manning, I'm not sure how many more, Philip Rivers, I'm not sure how many more of these guys, uh, These are they're becoming dinosaurs. Well, there's no doubt they're becoming dinosaurs. I think it's a, it's a combination of a lot of things. Firstly, I think the air raid, the more chance you get to get a kid throwing 30, 40 times a game in college, there's definitely a chance for evaluating their throwing ability better. You may not like the offense they're in, but you can see what type of thrower they are, how accurate they are. So I think that aids a little bit. It, it takes away in some of the areas the mental 
in terms of the checks and going through progressions that they sometimes aren't asked to do. But I think there are things you gain from it. You get to look at their footwork more. You get to look a lot at their release quickness, their accuracy. Um, but to me, this is one of the things that I don't get. You have all these older quarterbacks. There's not a lot of young guys. And teams are still, and I'm not, and trust me, I'm not saying Bill Belichick's wrong. He's the greatest coach ever, and he's been doing it with two quarterbacks on his roster. But why wouldn't you have three quarterbacks on your 53 and a fourth or fifth even on your practice roster? There's so few good quarterbacks. Why wouldn't you have anybody like a Tyree Jackson? You mentioned he's out there on the street. Why wouldn't you have him on your practice roster or as your third quarterback and be repping him and coaching the heck out of him so that two or three or four years from now, you're not stuck in a situation where you literally have a guy like the Jets do with Sam Darnold get sick. All of a sudden, his backup's hurt. You're playing a guy you literally just signed at the end of training camp that you claimed off waivers in Luke Falk. Now, I like Luke Falk, but why do you want to be stuck in that position? Why wouldn't you be proactive? And why wouldn't you have a two or three coaches assigned. So this is, to me, the simple solution is you keep three active and one on your practice roster. Your third quarterback and your practice roster quarterback spend part of practice with two or three practice squad receivers on a separate field with two of your other assistant coaches working on stuff so they can really get reps in and they can get a lot of work in and use the VR technology that teams are using today. I don't think enough of that is being done, and I think that's part of the reason along with the fact that teams are just insistent on keeping only two guys on their roster, I think it's hurting the development of young quarterbacks. Yeah, and then you take away the, the World League and the developmental leagues, and they're not getting reps anywhere. But you, you make a great point. And, you know, one of your mentors, actually, Dick Vermeil, did a great job because, you know, he always had a quarterback stash, whether it was Trent Green or Kurt Warner, Mark Bolger, um, he, he always had a, a next man up quarterback ready to go. It's almost like teams weren't paying attention uh, to the legendary Bill Walsh. I mean, this guy grew quarterback. 100%. And, 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 you know, the one guy who actually has done a good job, again, is Belichick. I mean, he's, he's over here dishing off spare parts, Jacoby Brissett and, and Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, worst case scenario, you have uh, two or three good quarterbacks. Worst case scenario, you trade them for draft picks. Exactly. And if you look over the past 15 years, even though they've had Tom Brady, they're the only team that pretty much every other year or every year drafts a quarterback. Why wouldn't you keep trying to develop those guys? I mean, I just look back and you mentioned Bill Walsh. I even look back to another one. I think one of the most underrated coaches of all time, even though he failed the second time he coached with Joe Gibbs, this guy won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. And a big part of the reason they did that was is they kept three quarterbacks and then they would cheat a little bit and they'd come up with an injury or two and stick one or two other guys on injured reserves. And I understand you can't do that now, but you can put a guy in a PR. I mean, Stan Humphreys was a guy that never even got on the field. He was their fourth quarterback. They trade him. He takes the charges to the Super Bowl. So why aren't you – that's one of the things I don't get is I understand you have to game plan and you have to prepare and it takes a lot of hours, but – with 20-man coaching staffs, you can't tell me that two quality control or assistant offensive coaches can't take your third and fourth or fourth and fifth quarterbacks onto a separate field with some practice squad receivers or one practice squad running back and just wreck the heck out of them and do some VR work to get them seeing defenses and stuff so that you can develop these guys. Because to me, that's one of the biggest, especially now, 
when every analytical study is saying that when your quarterback is earning virtually nothing is the most efficient time and best chance to win a Super Bowl, excluding obviously the Patriots because they're just a whole different world. Well, if that's the case, why aren't you trying to develop a young guy so that when your marginal quarterback and Andy Dalton or Joe Flacco has to be paid $30 million a year, you can whack him because you've spent the last three years developing a guy in the practice roster for two years, and he was a backup for one, and now he's in his second official year. You can get him for three cheap years, and he's your starting quarterback. So to me, I just don't get it. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's something that all these people in the league know that I don't, and I'm just an idiot. But to me, it really seems like they're missing an opportunity here. No, I think you make great points. And I look no further than right here in my backyard. You know, the Giants are paying Eli Manning about $24 million this season because they didn't really know what they had. And, you know, to me, they they hit the panic button two games after the season. They're now turning the key, you know, handing Daniel Jones the, the keys to the Cadillac. They still don't know what they got, but if that was the case, why are you out here spending $24 million on Eli this year? I mean, you could have kept yep. some of that talent maybe in-house and, and, and just, you know, I, I think you are on to something, and I think it's a product of some of the new younger head coaches that they feel like, well, hey, a third quarterback on game day uh, doesn't help me out uh, on game week. And to your point, it's the exact opposite. The the amount of reps in practice are invaluable to a quarterback's development. And you can never have too many good quarterbacks. I mean, I've never heard of such a thing. So um, I think you're on to something, which is why you teach the football GM and scouting course over at Sports Management Worldwide. For those of you who like what we're talking about and discussing, you can't teach experience, folks. You know, Russ has lived it. He's he's worked under Dick Vermeil. We watched Joe Gibbs take Joe Theismann, Jay Schrader, Doug Williams to the Super Bowl. And like you said, Stan Humphreys never even saw the field. He went on to have a heck of a career for the San Diego Chargers. Uh, quickly, before we talk about tier two quarterbacks, Russ, how can people sign up for that sports management worldwide course? You know, they can go to SMWW. And firstly, I got to give you credit. You talk about a professional broadcaster. I mean, you went right there. You smoothly slid that right in. That was that was smooth. I tell you what, that's why Rick is the man. I mean, there there's a guy on, on Sirius Radio named Sam Roberts. He calls himself the last professional broadcaster. After that slick move there, I would have to tell Sam, and I love you, Sam. You have a great show. But I have to tell him, move over. You got Rick Saratella. He is now the last professional broadcaster. That was smooth. That was unbelievable how quickly you slid into that. You know, SMWW, it's a sports management worldwide. It's a course I've been teaching for over a decade. And really what it does, it's not, you're not going to take an eight-week course and say, look, all of a sudden I'm, I'm great. Let me go get a job in the NFL. That's not happening. Let's be realistic. There's thousands of people trying to get every single internship in the NFL. But what this course is going to do is it's going to give you the basic inside view of how an organization is really structured, what every job in an organization really is, not from an outsider's perspective, thinking a scout goes to a game on Saturday and that's all he does and that the head coach is just the coach and he's not involved in other stuff. It really gives you the whole perspective on what goes on in an organization. And we teach you about the finer points of scouting each position. You write reports, one report a week on each position, and I grade those reports and break them down and give you sort of feedback so at least you can start writing okay reports by the time you're done with the course. Um, 
And, and then really the other thing that this course does is I give you the insight into the little tidbits to help you develop enough to where you can start looking at internships in college football, arena league, CFL, and maybe if you're lucky, it ends up being the NFL someday. Because um, there is no magic way to get in. You just got to build your contacts. So I try to, through this course, provide some tips and, and ideas for people on how to better prepare themselves to give themselves an opportunity to work in football for hopefully the next 20, 30 years like you and I have. Yeah, you know, and again, you know, there is no magic way, but uh, you're right on the point with it. it's about your contacts and your network. And I think, you know, the sports management worldwide course is, is a great starting point because right off the bat, you know, I speak at the sports management worldwide uh, conference over in Indianapolis. I'm on the panel with Russ and that's another great experience that I enjoy thoroughly, but right off the bat, um, you attend that conference, you take Russ's course. Now you're opening up the gates, you're opening up the doors, uh, you're meeting people and networking and, and, you know, uh, some really good people on some of those panels. I mean, Mark Dominic uh, is a guy and uh, Chris Spielman comes every year. And, uh, you know, Mike Stober from Exos Digital and the Jacksonville Jaguars and, and Steve Fairchild, who, um, has been around as a head coach. So, you know, go check it out, smww.com. Of course, this is the Infectious Scouting Podcast with Russ Landy and Rick Saratello. Make sure you follow Russ at Russ Landy. And Russ, you know, I know one of your specialties, you have uh, built up a reputation for identifying quarterbacks, not necessarily the top quarterbacks, but where you can really make some good money. As we just discussed, there's not enough good quarterbacks as finding some of these uh, mid to late round developmental quarterbacks. And, you know, last week's podcast, we talked about our tier one QB prospects. I'm curious to know kind of who's in your tier two uh, QB prospects. And we've kind of talked about Nate Stanley, I think enough. Um, and I'll let you run down your list, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on this uh, Jordan love, because that, that's a guy I saw week one where you know, I'm almost ready to kind of put him in a tier one group. And, you know, while I'll still take the other big three ahead of him, uh, I think Jordan Love is is pretty much the, the king of tier two at this point. No, I agree with you. I think he's a guy that you have to put in that group. You have to say this is a guy that's got a chance to be a first-round pick. I mean, I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen because you know as well as I do. It's the, the predicting which guys are going to go in the first round Six months out, it's nearly impossible unless they're guys that are going at the top of the first. But yeah, I think Love is a guy that 100% has got to be in that discussion. You're talking about a kid that I think has had already shown prior to this year that he had a lot of tools. But I think what you've seen this year is, like we talked about with the kid from Temple and improvement, I think this year you've seen not only improvement in terms of making the right throws and accurate throws, but I think more confidence. When you watch him play, you're like, yep, this guy not only gets it, he is aggressive with the ball. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't hesitate. There's no pause in what he's doing. I mean, he's really an intriguing kid that I think, yeah, he's definitely got a chance to challenge to be a first-round pick. He's a very interesting guy. Um, you know, we haven't talked about him much. The Joe Burrow kid from LSU is a guy that I think has done some good things so far this year. I don't know if I would stretch and push him up and say this guy's a first-round pick. But in that second tier of quarterback. He's one of those guys that's got to be considered because he does a lot of things well. I don't think he is a special talent in terms of elite rare arm and 
and just being able to do anything you want physically. But he's a good, talented guy who can do a lot of things. So he, he's an intriguing guy in that second tier to take a peek at. Now, that, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and uh, you know, kind of just looking at the big board before the show, um, you know, he wasn't really necessarily in that tier two. Um, he was maybe a, a, a day three consideration. But I yep. think there's a lot of moving and shaking going on in this in this quarterback uh, overall, you know, board wise, because, you know, on our preseason preview shows, you know, we talked about Shea Patterson of Michigan, highly recruited at uh, coming out of high school, the transfer from Ole Miss. We figured, hey, he's going to link up with Harbaugh. He's going to be with one of the best QB mentors. He's, you know, got some mobility there in the pocket. And, you know, it just really hasn't happened for him. And the other guy, too, who I, I thought could be in that tier two mix coming into the season. And again, just really, I haven't seen him take the next level. This uh, kid from Colorado, Steven Montez, is, he's got a cannon of an arm. And, you know, just kind of, I, I just don't see them playing up to their potential. Or maybe this is who they are. We have the rest of the season to find out who they are. But to me, uh, these are two guys now that, you know, I thought they could be potential day two selections. Now I'm thinking, hey, if they're day three, maybe, you know, maybe even undrafted, they'll be lucky just to hear their name called. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, you mentioned those guys. And really, it's a funny class because I have to say everybody's talking about Tua and Fromm and A, a-, a-, a- Bear out of Oregon. Um, but the, the, the second tier of guys, it's really sort of be almost the thing where you almost got to search through to find guys outside of those top four or five guys. When you, you include like the love that we talked about and Nate Stanley, we've talked about, even though he's not in that same class, there's a lot of maybes. There's not a lot of guys that I'm definitively going to say are second or third round guys. The one guy I think we haven't really talked a lot about is the kid Eason who's out at uh, Washington. Um, he's yeah. an intriguing kid. Um, so far this year, he's impressed me. I think he's got to be in that upper group of the tier two guys. But yeah, you make a great point. A lot of the guys that we came into the year, like the Montez kid, I mean, no. I mean, he has not done anything to make me think this is a guy that I would legitimately be excited about considering in the first three rounds of the draft. I mean, I just don't see it with this kid. And I'm not saying he's terrible, but he has not shown me enough to get me excited that this is a kid I want to consider that early in the draft. Yeah, no, it's been a um, down year for the for the uh, you know, like you said after that cream of the crop. It's been a down year for guys that we had big expectations for. I know you and I offline have discussed the FIU quarterback James Morgan, who I was really excited about coming into the season under uh, Butch Davis, there the head coach at FIU, but uh, he got injured the first game. Really hasn't played the last two games, and it's like again another wait and see type of prospect at the quarterback position. So, hey, I think there's room here. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a a quarterback or two that no one's really kind of talking about right now that could still catapult up because, like you said, I watch Montez and I don't get excited. And Patterson, I'm kind of scratching my head. What is he now? So Yeah, exactly. That's what I look at with Patterson. It's so frustrating. Because yeah, you, you want to look at him and say, you clearly can do anything you physically want. Why aren't you doing it? 
he is one of the he is one of the guys that drives me nuts more than anybody else in this draft. So, you know, we will uh, continue this discussion. We'll continue to monitor quarterbacks as the weeks progress, because I think um, the way the NFL landscape is shaping up for us, you know, you might get four or five quarterbacks in the first round just out of need, because I'm thinking there might be a bigger need for starting quarterbacks this year, even more so than we've seen in recent years. So just another thing to keep an eye on and monitor as the season progresses. Of course, we try to progress each and every week here on the Infectious Scouting Podcast. We're counting you down to the 2020 NFL Draft in Las Vegas. Uh, I'll be linking up with Russ out there to do some stuff, and uh, we're excited for that. But until then, we'll just have to tune in for our weekly episodes as we break it down for the people, by the people. And this week is a week number four. Headlined by Notre Dame and Georgia. We'll start off there, Russ. Uh, they're calling it maybe the biggest game in Athens in, in the history of Georgia football. Uh, I don't know if I would go that far, but this is going to be a playoff elimination matchup, it looks like. Oh, there's no, it's a huge game. I mean, I agree with you. I don't know if I'd go that far just because I don't think when you, when you look at the grand scheme of things, I don't think Notre Dame compares to some of the elite teams that have come and played in Georgia um, from the SEC in the last, say, five years. But they're an awfully good team. And because of Notre Dame and the way they're set up football-wise and schedule-wise, this may be their biggest test. So they may get a chance to run the table and go undefeated if they win this week. So Georgia not only has to win for themselves, but if Georgia doesn't win, they're almost penciling in Notre Dame into the playoffs. So this is a huge game on both sides here. I expect Georgia to win. I think athletically they're a level above Notre Dame, um, but it's not going to be an easy game. Fromm is going to have to play mistake-free football um, for them to really have a chance to be the team and, and win this game because Notre Dame is a good, well-coached team. They're not going to lose a game. They're not going to get out. They're not going to lose a game by making mistakes. They're going to lose the game by getting outplayed. So Georgia's going to have to play a strong game. Yeah, and we talked about, uh, you know, Georgia kind of this RBU. They just kind of produce uh, running backs each and every year. So now uh, DeAndre Swift will have a big test because, you know, when you look at this Notre Dame defense, they got some talented talented players on that defensive side of the ball. They got a pair of safeties, the Aloha kid. Um, so we'll see how, you know, not just from, but how DeAndre Swift, does as well because I feel like you know he's kind of battling right now for the number one you know that title of number one yep. running back prospect I think you could throw you know Jonathan Taylor maybe he's in the mix but uh you know Swift is, is like the guy I think right now Swift is unbelievable I mean I for whatever reason I don't think he's getting the national attention he deserves I think so much of the focus is on the John Taylor you mentioned and the Etienne kid with Clemson that people aren't looking yeah. at Swift this is a legit game-changing back. He can help you in all facets. He catches the ball out of the backfield well. He's dangerous in the open field. I mean, this kid, to me, is what you want in a tailback. I hope that because it's Notre Dame, because it's going to be a national game, because tons of people are going to watch it, this may be the chance for Swift to really sort of put a stamp on the fact that he is truly one of the elite backs in the entire country and deserves to be in the discussion for the best back in America. 
Yeah, and he'll be running behind, you know, Andrew Thomas, the uh, junior offensive tackle. Many people expect him to declare, so that's another guy worth monitoring. I'll tell you what, if you're a scout or a draftnik, I mean, have your have your pet notepads ready because there's a ton of prospects. Georgia has probably got about 20 players in our database. Uh, Notre Dame is not too far behind. I'd say Notre Dame has a legit uh, dozen or so prospects, and you know, Chase Claypool. I know you could appreciate this, Russ. Uh, the Canadian-born Chase Claypool now, uh, he's got size, he's got speed, and he's got athleticism. I think this guy has a chance to be a real high selection. I agree with you 100%. I mean, this is a guy that when you look at him talent-wise, and, yeah, throw in the fact that he's Canadian, that's great. But, I mean, yeah, this is a guy that he, he's got all the tools you want to be a productive receiver in the NFL. Unfortunately for the teams in the Canadian Football League, I don't think that he's ever going to spend a day up there. I think this is a kid that, whether he's a first or a second, he's going to get picked in the first three rounds of the NFL draft, um, and he's going to play in the NFL a long time. I think the only thing that's hurting him really is when teams sort of look look at this kid, they're going to say, okay, one is the speed. Because that's the one question when I see him. I see him make big plays. But is he a guy that I really think has the speed at the next level? And two, it's just so many Notre Dame receivers have not developed when they've gotten to the next level that you just have to start saying, okay, is part of the reason they're so successful in college and highly productive and getting drafted high is because they're so well coached and that system is so good. And then maybe they're not able to play up to those standards when they have to go against better athletes in the NFL. But I think when you look at the talent, no doubt this kid's got the legit talent to challenge to be a first-round pick. He's an impressive kid, and I'd love to see him go up to Canada, but uh, they, they can they can cross that out. He ain't ever going to spend a day up there at least playing football. No, for sure. And then, you know, I guess a couple other guys, you know, Julian Aquara, uh, whose brother is on the Detroit Lions, a draft pick of uh, – undrafted of the Giants. Uh, Julian, I think, has a chance to be a highly selected draftable player. Uh, the opposite bookend, Khalid uh, Kareem is another guy heavily on the NFL radar. And then uh, Tony Pride, the senior defensive corner, another guy worth uh, monitoring and, and keeping notes on. And, uh, again, we mentioned Aloha Gilman, the safety there at Notre Dame. So, hey, uh, you know, maybe not quite the class of Georgia. We shall see. Let's not write them off. No, yet, but, but they're awfully good. But they're 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 a good a team of, with a lot of prospects, no question. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to that matchup. Uh who else are you keeping an eye on for the week four college football schedule, Russ? Well, two two games I'm really looking forward to. Firstly, Washington BYU. I wanna see how Easton does against a BYU team that in truth I missed on when they, when the season began, I thought BYU was gonna be maybe above 500, but I didn't expect them to be upsetting teams week after week. This is going to be a great task because BYU forces you when you're on offense to be efficient and avoid mistakes. So this is a great test for Easton. How is he going to do when he's not going to be able to push the ball down the field? He's going to have to make some short and intermediate throws, probably into tight windows. So I can't wait to see that. And the other one, and I don't think we've talked about this kid much, or maybe we did in the preseason, is I want to see Colorado versus Arizona State. Because the receiver there at Colorado, and I always screw up his name, but Cheneau, if I've got that correct, he's going to face a real challenge. Because if you watch Arizona State's defense this year, they challenge receivers. They do a lot of different coverages. And I think you can see Herm Edwards, sort of his 
background as a former DB, former defensive coordinator, you can see in Arizona State's defense. It's not easy for receivers. They don't play the same basic thing every snap. They do little different things. Even if the coverage is covered two, three snaps in a row, they're going to do little things underneath to adjust that cover two. It's going to be a good challenge for Cheneau in terms of getting open, in terms of identifying the defense, and what can he do against that defense? Is he going to be able to do enough? Because they are not an easy team to score on. I'm very much looking forward to watching that game. Yeah, that's a good one. We got, you know, some good matchups this week, uh, as we do every week in, in college football. Uh, Michigan versus Wisconsin will be a Big Ten showdown. And um, Auburn versus I think that's going to be a great one to see it. That, that Michigan-Wisconsin, see how Taylor does against a defense that has to play well because their offense is so inconsistent in Michigan. They're going to be focused on Taylor all game. It's going to be – he's going to have to prove. Not that he, we, we – I think we both agree he's going to lead back. But this is going to be a game where he's going to have to step up and really carry that offense if they want to have any chance of winning. Not that Michigan's a great team, but they're going to focus so much on Taylor that if he struggles, they're able to contain him. It's going to be a real close game. Yeah, no, it's going to be a nice matchup there. And then um, SEC showdown, Auburn versus Texas A&M. You know, Auburn has got some guys on this defensive line now, whether it's Derek Brown, Nick Coe, Marlon Davidson. Um, you know, this this is a game just watching, you know, some big boys up front. And then on the offensive side, we talked about offensive tackles. This Prince Tega uh, Wanago is going to get a lot of consideration um, as a senior offensive yep. tackle prospect, size, experience, 80-plus. Uh, inch wingspan so uh he's a potential left tackle uh prospect to keep an eye on as well oh 100 he's a really intriguing guy because he's got the length you talked about i think he's an underrated athlete i think he can move his feet a little bit um this and this is gonna be a good challenge for him because a&m has a lot of edge guys that are undersized that they bring off the corner so he's gonna have to show he can not only get there in time, but can he bend a little bit and get those hands on those smaller guys that are going to try to turn the corner and are going to try to beat it back underneath. So it's going to be a big challenge for him. I'm looking forward to it. He, to me, is one of those tackles that is not getting much national attention, but I know scouts have said that they feel this is a guy who could go from a sort of mid-round guy. They think he could vault up if he plays the rest of this year at a high level because it's hard. You, you, you mentioned it. We talked about it. Tackles are hard to find. This kid's got the length and the athleticism. He's planted a big-time program. If he can play well the rest of the season, I could see this guy really moving up board, especially with guys like Little and Jackson out for the year. And you don't know what their status is going to be once they get checked at the combine. Are they going to still maintain their high draft status? Because this is a guy that could go moving up. And all of a sudden, teams feel more confident taking this kid because he's healthy than someone else who may be coming off a an injury that they don't believe he will ever get back to 100% from. Learn the name now because you'll be hearing them come April, and that's who we're keeping an eye on for our week four college football action. Of course, we'll come back next week and break it all down, recap what we saw, and look ahead at week five in terms of what we're anticipating. Uh, Russ, parting shot for the people before we put a ribbon on the show. You know, I, I've been doing a little bit of, of film work on the Big Ten, still trying to wrap up all these guys. 
And, you know, it's interesting when I look at some of these programs and, and try to find players that I really like. There's a kid at Northwestern that is not, I don't think, getting a ton of national attention. A receiver named Bennett Skorinek. Um, number 88, not a blazing fast guy, but you talk about a kid that is polished, knows what he's doing, catches the heck out of the ball. He, to me, is one of these sleeper receivers. I wouldn't be shocked if all of a sudden the season ends, he goes to an East-West or an NFLPA game, and all of a sudden he blows it up there, and then people start talking about him being one of these sort of sleeper receivers that's coming out of nowhere. This is a really good football player. I didn't expect a ton when I started watching Northwestern, but he jumped off the film at me. I think this kid's got a chance to be a much higher draft pick than people are talking about right now. Love it. So that means you, it, be, you it, better get it. on him for the NFLPA. I'm telling you, brother. I was going to say, hey, maybe we, maybe we should have kept that one under wraps a little bit here. But, uh, <laughs> hey, when Russ Landy says it, uh, I pay attention, as should you. Of course, check out his football GM and scouting course at Sports Management Worldwide, smww.com for that. Uh, again, we'll be back again next week for the Infectious Scouting weekly podcast uh, for Russell Landy, at Russ Landy. And your host here, Rick Serratella, we appreciate you tuning in. Till the next time, everybody. Once it gets into your stream, there's no vaccine. You've got the sickness, too. Thanks for listening to the Infectious Scouting Podcast.